Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, many thanks for joining us today on the Journal of Biophilic Design. Uh, we're really thrilled to be joined by Melissa Marcel, lecturer in environmental psychology at the University of Surrey. Her research focuses on the health benefits of nature and biodiversity, as well as the psychology of sustainability. We're going to touch on various things like fractals and nature views and why biodiversity is important in all of this. Um, in fact, why biodiversity is a crucial element. I'm hoping to get her back on the show to talk about urban street tree biodiversity and also antidepressant prescriptions, <laughs> um, which are all linked to nature. Uh, but um, we're also going to talk today uh, about her biodiversity health framework model, uh, which she published earlier this year. So um, I'm really, really thrilled to be joined by you, Melissa. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Vanessa. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity. Lovely. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do and, uh, and what got you into it, please? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm an environmental psychologist. Um, and so for a lot of people that is um, maybe new, you know, maybe uh, you think that I talk to trees about their mothers or things like this. <laughs> um, but, but an environmental psychologist uh, studies the relationship between people and their environment. So uh, generally, psychologists study uh, how people think, feel, and behave. But environmental psychologists, uh, we, we think that all of our thoughts, um, all of our perceptions, all of our behaviors are place-based. They have a context. And so we look at that um, environmental context. And um, so we look at how the environment influences how we think, feel, and behave, but also how we influence and affect our environment. Thanks. Well, I'm glad we've got you on here as a, with, as a, with your expertise. Um, obviously, you kindly sent me a, a copy of your, your book, uh, Biodiversity and Health in the Face of Climate Change. Well, um, in, in the book, you, uh, you mentioned Kaplan and Kaplan's preference matrix. Uh, I mean, first of all, can you describe what this is, please? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, we all have preferences, right? Like, uh, we prefer one thing over another, and preferences are important psychologically because they influence behavior. Like, my preference of an ice cream influences which one I'm going to buy, right? And um, so there likewise are aspects about the physical environment that, that we all prefer. Um, you know, one person may prefer uh, living in the city center and hustle and bustle, and someone may prefer being out in the countryside where it's quieter, right? And these preferences will have consequences on behavior where we buy a house, for example, or how we want to uh, style our the inside of our house. And so the Kaplan's preference matrix is a theory on preference that is based on information rather than aesthetic beauty. So um, the preference matrix is all about the information that an environment provides for us and that um, an environment that is, is easily understood is an environment that'll be preferred by somebody. Um, just think about the times where you had to immediately understand and get information from an environment. Like uh, you step into a department store for the first time, you know, like a, a new, a John Lewis, if you're in the UK, and 
you have to look at the landscape and you have to figure out how to, where am I? And then how do I get to where I want to go? And you have to read that landscape in order to figure, get information from the landscape in order to figure out what you want to do in it. And so this is what the, the Kaplan's are talking about is that generally uh, those environments where you can easily understand and read it and get information from it are going to be environments in which you prefer. Okay, so that would explain then why, um, obviously other listeners will know, and we've, we've discussed it in the past, but the different research that's been done on why we, we're so happy in nature, we kind of, we, we sort of, it's, I suppose it's, a, it's an environment where we, we've, we recognize we don't have to think too much as well, I suppose. So we have a preference for certain types of, of nature views. I mean, sort of maybe we can sort of talk about that in a minute or discuss that, but um, obviously you discuss in your book how biodiversity is a key to creating that positive visual stimulus. Um, you know, for example, you talk about having a field of wild flowers that has a biodiverse mix. I mean, can you expand on that a little bit? Um, you know, maybe sort of touch on the re research. Um, yeah, and sort of describe the connection between sort of biodiversity and the preference matrix. Yeah, so, so the preference matrix isn't just saying that, you know, all, all nature will be preferred. Um, it's all about the, you know, there are many times that we've all been in the forest and suddenly turned around and just got lost because everything looked the same. Mm -hmm. So in the Kaplan's preference matrix, it's all the information that we get from the, the environment is based on certain aspects, design aspects, if you will. So, you know, is the environment legible? And I understand how to get from A to B, right? Um, is it coherent? You know, does, does, that, does it all make sense? Does everything hang together? And I understand everything that's in this place or is it just all weird and chaotic? Is it complex? Um, is there a lot of complexity? Is there a lot of stimuli? Or are there a lot of things going on? And I can't understand what's going on. And in the writing uh, by the Kaplan's, when they discuss an environment's complexity, uh, they also mention the words like an environment's richness or an environment's diversity. And so uh, aspects of complexity in the preference matrix by, by Rachel Stephen Kaplan are touching upon aspects of the diversity within a landscape. Um, so complexity is things like, you know, there's too much to think about, or there's too little going on. So we can think of this with regards to biodiversity. You know, we have a lot of biodiversity. There are, there's an incredible variety of plants and uh, species going on or present in this landscape, or is it a monoculture? Is it just grass? and no life, you know, no bees or wildlife whatsoever, right? So this is like, you know, really complex or really not complex. And just like Goldilocks in the three bears, we as humans really prefer an environment with a medium amount of complexity. We don't like an environment that's too complex, that has too much going on, because then it's chaotic and we can't really figure out what's going on. But likewise, an environment that's not very complex, that is just a monoculture, that's just grass, isn't very stimulating and not really interesting enough. So we like uh, and prefer 
environments that are in this museum complexity. So that would sort of, because um, they, they also talk, I mean, which you, you discuss, is the, the meadow, the meadow of wildflowers. You know, having having a, a sort of mix of flowers and sort of that I, I suppose for me as well it's like the repeated patterns as well um you know it's this sort of let's just talk about fractals I suppose it's kind of go to that sort of patterns in leaf well, well yeah yeah I mean there's um an experimental study actually manipulated a meadow uh and they were they weren't testing preference they were testing uh, stress reduction yeah but they uh had uh, a bunch of potted plants. So they have maybe, I don't know, a hundred uh, plant planters, right? And what they did was they varied uh, the species mix of grasses and flowers to mimic a meadow. And uh, they had, uh, in these planters, maybe they had, you know, only one species of, of grass. And then they changed it and it would be maybe 12 species. And then they had 30 species and 60 species but they kept the, the number of, of planters the same. And what they found um, when they hooked up blood pressure monitors to people and had people sit in front of these, these meadows of varying species for two minutes, they found that blood pressure um, reduced the most, AKA people were most relaxed. Mm -hmm. When they looked at the meadows of the 30 different species, so right in the middle, so the 60 species and the monoculture had, were the most stressful, but the least stressful was looking at 30 different species of, of plants in the meadow. So that's back to, like you say, the mean, it's back to that middle, the middle ground mm -hmm. kind of thing, mm -hmm. that sort of mm -hmm. moderate visual complexity kind of mm -hmm. side of things, which obviously mm -hmm. is, is great from the point of view of biodiversity and, and sort of the environment um it's, it's, you know message anyway isn't it really about having like a nice balanced mix of flowers and and sort of ec an ecosystem that um is beneficial for us um you know obviously we think it's beneficial for being outside and all that kind of stuff you know for people for the for the plants and the and the wildlife but actually as it turns out it's um there's a there's actually a health benefit to us isn't it because it, it brings our blood pressure down the cortisol levels drop and, and stuff so actually um, that's a double whammy. So um, any environmentalist listening, put that in your back pocket. <laughs> so um, um, I, I do want to just touch just very briefly on, because um, we're talking about visual complexity. Um, I mean, I, we're not going to go too much on fractals, but sort of patterns in leaves and um, sort of forest images with, with, you know, sort of with that lushness and, um, you know, sort of that repeated patterns that you see everywhere in nature. So again, I suppose, um, sort of hypothetical, looking at images that, or you know, that that have a, a, a sort of balanced mix of that. And also, you mentioned as well, if you can see a pathway through. I suppose that's where, because there's lots of arguments about, you know, the best images that you should have on a wall to help promote wellness and all this kind of thing. What's the best biophilic images that you should install in healthcare and education? And People often talk about having a, a path. I'm, I'm, I'm looking above your head because I've got a picture on my, above, above you that kind of go, leads off um, into Africa. But um, it's, it's, yeah, it's sort of pathway. So you can kind of see a, a, a way through, I suppose. There's all this, yeah. there's sort of that element coming in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, uh, in the Kaplan's uh, preference matrix, one aspect that I didn't mention was mystery. It's, it's okay. one of the design aspects that, uh, in the Kaplan's preference matrix is mystery. And this isn't 
us getting immediate information from the environment, which about where I am and where do I want to go, that's legibility. But if I want to explore the environment, if I feel safe in this environment and I want to explore more, then yeah, having an element of mystery where that path, so I can see that path and I understand where that path goes, but it goes around a bend. Yeah. You know, it, it disappears off in the distance and that facilitates an, an element of mystery. And I want to explore this space more. I want to follow that path and see where it leads. And it invites me in. Okay, yeah. So I suppose there's also that, um, uh, it sparks your imagination, doesn't it? So that mystery has that element, which has that, um, that sort of element of creation, creativity within us as well. You're finding solutions and, and things. So I suppose that gives also gives something for our brain to work on, which rather than, it's like also meditative in a way too, isn't it really? You know, rather than just looking at something that tells you what it is, it gives your brain, you know, it's like art, different artworks as well, isn't it? It has that same kind of uh, stimulus on us that makes us think about mm. things in a different way. Um, I mean, you, you, you talk in the book as well about a thing called perceptual fluency um and obviously with reference to specific visual stimuli but can you can you explain what perceptual fluency is perceptual fluency is related to fractals so fractals are it the easiest thing to think about is, is a, a fractal is a repeating pattern of various sizes so it's just the same pattern but of smaller and smaller sizes so it's uh, in effect the same shape copied over and over and over again. So common fractals are like waves um, on the sand of, of the shore or uh, like clouds, snowflakes are a really good example of, of a fractal, uh, tree bark, uh, fern leaves. And um, this is, I, I wish I had pictures really, a Romanesco broccoli. It's like this broccoli that, that has a, a cone and it swirls. Uh, so these are all examples of fractals in nature and they all have uh, the same shape that's just repeated over and over again at different sizes. And perceptual fluency is the ease with which a specific visual stimulus is processed by our brain. And fractals, because they repeat the same pattern, they, they contain redundant information. So it's just the same image, the same pattern, the same wave, just repeated over and over and over again. And that information, because it's repeated, is really easy for our brains to process. So it doesn't take a lot of effort for our brains to really understand what we're looking at. and. Um, that's what perceptual fluency is. It's easy on the eye for our brains understand. Okay. So then that would also explain why mandalas, for instance, when you're, you know, there's a sort of thing when you're meditating in, you know, you're doing yoga, there's a thing that we, 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 we look at mandalas, which have the mm -hmm. repeated patterns, the sort of repeated geometric forms. And you see people creating these meditative repeated patterns you know repeated like you know triangles and circles and triangles and triangles and triangles and they kind of build up and and then you just and there's that meditative state where you just we all as you just sort of mentioned that your your sort of brain relaxes and you just look at this you know repeated pattern that you don't have to sort of work out you don't have to think about it's 
Um, but they've obviously proven that that's um, that's actually good for for us. That's good for bring, bringing us down, if you want. I suppose is it kind of is that is that what it is? Or? Yeah. So our brains are do so much. They're always thinking. They're always trying to understand what they're looking at uh, and conceptualize things and under you know make next steps. And that can be cognitively, it can be really, really difficult to focus our attention all the time, to understand what we're looking at, to, to make sense of it is cognitively task. It's, it's effortful. Yeah. And there's a limited ability for us to do this. Um, think, uh, we've all experienced at the end of a long work day, we're just mentally exhausted. We can't think anymore. And then you're you know, your kids or your significant other asked to what's for dinner. And you're just like, I can't, like, I can't even, like, there's not just like, my brain can't even do one more thing at this moment in time. So you're cognitively fatigued and fractals and repeating patterns in um, mandalas or in nature are good for our brains because our brains can then just rest. They don't have to do that heavy lifting. They don't have to do that cognitive effort. It's really easy for them. And that can then enable our brain to, to, to work even harder for something else, for another mental task. Um, for example, a study had people do a mental, uh, a difficult task. They had to do a math problem. And, but while doing a math problem, they had to look at a picture that either was a fractal image or just a um, highly complex, like non-fractal image. And they found that people did better at answering the math problem when there was the fractal image next to them than when there was this like scrambly chaos picture. And that's because the brain didn't have to, you know, work at looking at the fractal image. It didn't, it didn't need that effort for that. It could focus only on doing the math problem. Yeah. But when doing the math problem and having a non-fractal image that was all chaotic, the brain was split. It was like, I need to sort of work out what I'm looking at here, but also pay attention and work out this math problem. And uh, it goes back to this uh, idea of complexity. It's too much complexity going on. Uh, our performance, our ability to complete a math problem uh, our ability to focus and concentrate is diminished yeah as a pollution environment it has less demand yeah that's, that's i mean that's that's really interesting so um obviously i'm interested in sort of biophilic biophilic solutions in design and how we can create interiors how we can create environments particularly in healthcare and education and workplaces um where we can perform to our best you know we can be our best the best our best selves really so um that's really interesting because so if, you, if, if people are listening and they're looking to you know there's people who are doing lots of complex mathematical solutions or they're doing coding or where there's lots and lots of you know you just need to zone in and concentrate and and but you need to have like some kind of visual around you whether that's um actually it'd be interesting to see if if if, if it's got the visual, if and um, without the visual, if there's like, if they've done, so they've done one with the vision, one with a fractal, you know, one with mm -hmm. like completely bonkers, bonkers, and then one one with nothing, 
I don't know if there's been one, but it'd be interesting to see what the three different sides, you know, one with, you know, like a sort of like control study. Um, but um, but that's really interesting about just, you know, having something that I suppose as well, there's there's also that element of looking up, isn't there, when you're because you can't look at your paper all the time. You do have to give yourself a bit of time out with your eyes and your brain, isn't it? You just look away or look. So if you've got something that you can just lose yourself in really but you yes. recognize um is, is really interesting i mean in, in as well i mean we, we sort of know about um attention restoration theory um but i'd like to hear what you think uh, that 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 is what, what, what it means for you kind of thing and also you talk about stress reduction theory in the book too um i mean again maybe you could you could talk about that and how sort of like biophilic views <laughs> um can help since we're talking about biophilic views in this one today so yeah, yeah. So, um, so moving away from talking about like preference or fractals, because yeah. um, both of those are based in the research, psychological research on preference. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about attention restoration theory or stress reduction theory, we're now moving towards understanding the health benefits or the health uh, consequences of interaction with nature or interaction with elements of biodiversity. Um, and attention restoration theory and stress reduction theory are one of the pathways through which biodiversity can influence our human health. So as you mentioned, um, I published earlier this year a biodiversity health framework. This details the four different pathways through which biodiversity can have an impact on our human health. And these are both positive and negative. So it's things like you know, biodiversity can influence human health by first reducing harm. Mm -hmm. You know, biodiversity provides us with medicines, clean air and water. Uh, biodiversity can also, on the flip side, cause harm. As we know with like COVID-19, uh, zoonotic diseases, uh, allergens. So biodiversity can also influence human health negatively through pathogens um, and viruses and, and whatnot. But biodiversity can also influence human health and well-being through the restoring capacities domain. So this is attention restoration theory, stress reduction theory, as well as uh, building up our capacities. So this is things like how biodiversity can influence human health by encouraging physical activity, facilitating experiences, transcendental, uh, transcendental experiences like the experience of awe or um, the opportunity for self-reflection. And, uh, and so there are these four different ways in which biodiversity can influence human health. Okay, that's, 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 that's actually a really um, nice way of, of looking at um, sort of biophilic enhancements, actually, to have those four different um, elements. It's, got, it's all the things that we talk about in biophilic design, but mm. I, I love the fact that it's bringing in this sort of, you know, biodiversity can you can you sort of from your point of view how do you how would you define biodiversity yeah it's um <laughs> it's a really good question so i i'm not an ecologist um i'm not a biologist i'm an environmental psychologist so i uh, don't reinvent the wheel i don't define biodiversity create my own definition i use the convention the un's convention for biological diversity's uh, definition which is the diversity of uh, species, within species, ecosystems, and organisms. 
So it's the it's the diversity of of genes within a certain species, the uh, variety of species, so uh, different types of oak trees, for example, uh, different types of uh, just think about uh, the different species of dog or types of dog that we ha have in, in our with. So this is what uh, I mean by biodiversity. I don't just mean um, a green space or a tree. It's you know, the type of tree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the diversity of life. Bio means mm -hmm. life. It's diversity of life, isn't it? Yeah, like we are. We're all we're all we're all well, we're all one species, but we're all different, aren't we? Really? Yeah. Um, and then you think all the birds in the trees. You know, that again, sort of going back to the the fact, you know, this sort of this visual stimuli that we have. If we just saw one pigeon, for instance, and just like the same type of pigeon constantly, 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 it's. I mean, I mean, just to put it really naively, it's boring isn't it it's kind of whereas if we see you know different different shapes of birds and sizes and colors and song different sounds and and their activity and their movement and their different flight patterns and the way they eat this for us is is a really amazing stimulus isn't it it's it gives us joy it makes it makes us happy it inspires us um you know i think all these different things so it's lovely to hear that obviously that sort of there's been actually studies proper you know psychological studies proper um managed studies to prove that um having more biodiversity is has a beneficial effect on us um and i think we can we can actually embrace that and bring that into our biophilic design solutions um in in interiors and also in the in the urban um spaces as well for for our public well-being and um and sort of interaction as well um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier the, the study with the meadows, yeah. where they varied the, the, the species mix of the flowers and herbs and uh, looked at uh, blood pressure. So that was testing the stress reduction theory, looking at how uh, biodiversity of plants uh, can influence stress reduction. Mm -hmm. But then there are, as you say, other studies looking at how biodiversity can impact uh, on uh, attention restoration theory. So specifically an aspect of attention restoration theory that your listeners may know is um, in order for an environment to restore our attention, we must first experience, uh, have an experience of four different qualities of that environment. You know, that environment needs to be fascinating as you were just saying about, you know, patterns of birds in flight uh, so that we have to be fascinated by this environment and, you know, clearly biodiversity, biodiverse elements, you know, having uh, more species of birds that we can hear and we can see is going to be more fascinating than just one species of bird that we hear. Um, another element of attention restoration theory is a sense of being away, that we feel like we're getting away from our everyday routine and research is showing that, you know, biodiversity you know, does enhance our experience of being away. Okay, that's great. And what are the other two? <laughs> the other two are uh, complexity, or sorry, coherence and extent, uh, compatibility and coherence or extent. So compatibility uh, is just, you know, like with people, you know, um, do, does this environment facilitate what I want to do? So think about when you want to study uh, or read something, but you're in a really busy cafe 
and like the environment is not conducive for what you want to do or you're trying to have a phone call in a busy cafe like the environment and you just don't match and and so research has shown that yeah that uh you know natural environments are usually compatible for what we want to do if what you want to do is relax for example and that yeah biodiverse environments facilitate you know that compatibility i want to stay here longer what i want to do in this environment you know are, are enables what i want to do and then the last one is coherence it's just the you know that this whole thing like sits together and i can understand the environment really easily and find that a biodiverse environment does facilitate that experience as well okay so it's like it's like a, it's a nice um holistic way of approaching an environment isn't it really yeah i like that um well i'm gonna have you back please <laughs> to talk about um sort of nature and health in an urban setting. Um, I think that's going to be really, really, a really uh, positive thing. And um, I am talking to different urban planners and, and things independently. So um, it'd be really interesting to to get your take on that. And um, I say there's another paper that you've sent me as well, which I'll I'll read. And just for the listeners as well, if people want to um, go to the journal of biophilicdesign.com, there'll be links to um, different uh, articles. And if you want to get in touch with Melissa, you can. Um, I'm assuming they can. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if they want to stalk you and, and academically and um, yeah, and sort of connect with you and find out more about what you've written. And also um, I'll put a link to, to the book as well so people can, can, can grab a copy of that. Um, but before you go, Melissa, um, I would like to ask the sort of the final question, which listeners will know that I always ask everybody, this kind of sort of like crazy magic brush of biophilia. What would the world look like to you if you could paint the world with a magic brush of biophilia? So the main issues in society right now, as you mentioned with the book, uh, are, you know, climate change, biodiversity loss, urbanization, and ill health. So, um, and they're all connected, these issues. And so for me to paint the world with a magic brush of biophilia, I would bring nature uh, to people by rewilding our cities, um, by planting uh, trees on residential streets and creating interconnected green spaces so that these are nature-based solutions that fight against climate change and biodiversity loss, but also you know, bring in the added benefits of you know, birdsong into our residential areas. Um, having food for pollinators, um, having a nice place where we want to walk around, um, you know, enabling us to walk for longer because all the spaces are interconnected and uh, clean air and reduced depression. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.